All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and I want you to look right now at verse 10. That's where we're going to get our text. It says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And I believe this verse right here is a very important verse that people really need to get a hold of, and I'm afraid a lot of people have not gotten a hold of this verse, and as a result of it, um, they have a lot of just bad thinking when it comes to a lot of theology. I'm talking saved people and unsaved people. There's some really bad thinking. There's really bad teaching that we often hear out there uh, when it comes to uh, just Christians being obedient to the Word of God. And uh, there's some things that just really blow my mind that people get wrong doctrinally. And I believe one of the reasons is because they're missing something very important that we can learn from this passage here. And I want to try to show you this tonight. And then what I want to do, I want to show you what this is talking about, because I think it's real clear. But then I want to show you, two, we're going to look at two false doctrines that are out there, that people get these doctrines wrong based on the fact that they don't understand this concept here that Paul is trying to teach. And this is something that we actually see throughout the Bible. It's kind of a theme in the Bible. And if we could get a hold of this, I think people would be a lot more straight on their doctrine. So let's go to look at a little context. Let's go back to verse 8 and notice what it says here. It says, For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now, in the previous letter in 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, he rebuked these people pretty good because of the fact that they had a man in their church who was a fornicator and had committed a fornication that was even something that was repulsive amongst the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And he told them they need to remove that man from him because this was a wicked sin. They couldn't have this kind of thing in the church. And so when the Apostle Paul wrote that letter, he's telling him here in 2 Corinthians, when I first wrote it, he's like, I repented. He was wishing he hadn't done it because he felt, he felt bad because he rebuked him. If you ever chewed somebody out, and maybe they even had it coming, but lady, you kind of felt bad for chewing him out. And here he wrote the letter and he sent it and it's too late and probably the next day he's thinking, I think I was kind of hard on him. But the truth is, he wasn't too hard on him. What he wrote was under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And you know what? It did its job. And so he, see, he says here that it, it made them sorry. This was good. That needed to happen. And so while a part of him felt bad, you know, another part of him was glad that he did it because these people actually repented. So he says in verse 9, Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry. I'm not glad this made you feel bad. That wasn't the goal so much to make you feel bad, even though it needed to happen, but that you sorrow to repentance. He's like, I'm glad that this changed you. I'm glad you repented of this sin that was going on in the church. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us and nothing. Not only were you sorrowful, not only were you repentant, but your repentance was a godly repentance. Because you know what? There's an ungodly repentance that's out there too. There's good repentance and there's bad repentance. He, and he goes on to say, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And there are, there's two different kinds of sorrow or repentance, you could say. There is the, I'm sorry I got caught. Okay, We've all experienced that before. You're, you've seen that with your kids. 
where they get busted. Maybe they hit their sister or something and it just so happens you were watching and they are immediately repentant. But why are they repentant? Are they repentant? Are they repenting of the fact because of the fact that it was wrong? And not only is God displeased, but their sister was displeased by that. Or are they sorry because they got busted? Listen, when you're sorry just because you got busted, that's not the kind of repentance that we want. That's not necessarily what we're looking for. Because this godly sorrow, when a person gets a hold of the fact that, you know what? I am wrong. I agree with God that I am wrong. I agree with God about what's right and and what I am in agreement with God. Now, it is right. That's not something you're just going to change your mind on later. And, it, and especially when it comes to salvation. Okay? When a person truly believes on Christ, when they truly put their faith and trust in Him for salvation, when you understand that, when you when you know that, you, I don't understand how a person could change their mind on that. And I don't believe you can. I, I believe, I do not believe a person can repent of the repentance that got them saved. You say, why not? It just doesn't make sense. You could. Now, I could see somebody repenting of repenting of their sins. I gave up my sins for a while and, man, I missed those sins. I want to go back to that. I could see repenting of repenting of your sins. But folks, you know, if you really believe salvation is a free gift that saves you from hell, that you got for free, why would you be like, you know what, I'm sorry I took that deal. You know what, I want to go to hell. Who repents of that? Okay? I, I, don't, I don't know how that's possible. Okay? I, I, I really don't. But yet, you know, people claim you can, and that's another subject for another day. But, you know, you're not going to change on these things. True godly repentance, it's something that it causes a real genuine and a permanent change. And so in verse 11, he says, For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, what zeal, yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. When this church got a hold of the fact that, man, we are wrong in this area. We are wrong. Not just we've been made to feel bad because the Apostle Paul got up and he screamed in our face and then he told an emotional scary story and then he had a piano player come play an emotional song and he got us all worked up into an emotion. No, they truly saw this is wrong. And you know what they did? They fixed it. They cleared themselves. What do we have to do? Let's make sure we get this right. They, they did whatever they had to do and they fixed it. And Paul said, you're clear in this matter. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. Therefore, we were comforted in your comfort, yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. So listen, all of us in here, we are all sorry for our sin when we are being punished or when we are being yelled at. But it is very different. It is completely different when we come to a place where we truly understand where we went wrong and we actually change our mind about it, where we don't think that way anymore. That, that's different. That's, a, that's the difference between a godly repentance and a worldly repentance. There, there's a difference there. So let me ask you this question too to kind of help you understand this concept. 
Okay? And I'm not. And when we're talking about repentance here, we're not even talking necessarily about salvation, but just repenting in any area where we need to repent. So, as a parent, what is your goal when it comes to getting your children to get along? Okay? What's your goal? Do you want them to be nice to each other out of fear of getting spanked? Or would you prefer that they actually like each other and want to get along? Okay. Wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be better if they just wanted to get along? I mean, what, wouldn't you feel more successful as a parent? Okay. And, and have you ever been there before, you know, as a parent, when you see your kids just getting along and behaving, and, you know, it's just kind of a feel-good moment as a parent? You know, look at my kids behaving. And I didn't even tell them to. You know, look, they, you know, they just gave each other a hug and I didn't make them, you know, that, that makes you feel good. But you know, it doesn't make you feel good as a parent when you have, you know, have you ever had to do it where you force them to give the other one a hug? My parents did that to me growing up and then they took a picture of it. Yeah. Still get mad when I see that picture. And, and, and you know what? Hey, we were obeying, we were hugging, but if you look at that picture, we weren't repentant. <laughs> There was no godly repentance, godly sorrow that worked with repentance there. You know, we're hugging each other, but in our minds we were strangling each other. We were like the child in school who kept being told by the teacher to sit down, and he wouldn't sit down, and finally she threatened him enough where he finally sat down. He's like, fine, I'm sitting down, but in my mind I'm standing up. And understand, that is not the kind of repentance that we want from our children. That's not the kind of repentance that God wants from us. God does not want us doing these things out of fear. He wants us to actually change our mind on these things. He actually wants us to be in agreement with Him. And so who is the more successful parent that's out there? Is it the parent whose kids get along when they're away because the kids know they've got a camera on us that they can see on their phone? And they have told us, and listen, if you have to do that as a parent, I have no problem with that. But the thing is, you know, if your kids are sitting there at home and they're being good because they know mom and dad's watching me, who's the more successful parent? The one whose kids are being good because they're being watched or that other parent that's out and they don't have any cameras on their kids. They just trust that their kids are going to be good and they're fine. Who, who's the more successful parent? Both kids are being good, aren't they? But one's doing it out of fear because they're being monitored. Another group of kids is doing it just because they're good kids and they love each other. Okay, who, who, you know, who do you want your kids to be? You want them to be the ones that are doing right because they want to. And one thing we see in the Bible is God loves seeing someone who is truly convinced of the truth about their sin. Look what, turn over to Psalms chapter 51. Psalms chapter 51, this is David speaking after he had committed his sin with Bathsheba. And listen to what he said. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Listen, after David committed that sin, if God would have said, all right, David, this is a really bad sin, here's what you do. Sacrifice a thousand lambs. David would have done it. David would have been, he said, hey, if you'd asked for a sacrifice, I'd have done it. You know what? There's people out there, if the Bible taught the way to get saved is you've got to go do this work, this work, this work, they'd be like, let me do it. I'm ready to go. They, they would do whatever you said. You know, you got to pray for 72 hours straight without falling asleep. They'd figure out a way to do it. 
You know, they'd, they'd be ready to go. Hey, Lord, you need a sacrifice? If it's give money, you know, it'd be like that rich young ruler. What good thing must I do? But you know what? God is not interested in those sacrifices. You know what God wants? The broken and contrite heart. God wants that person who has got a hold of the fact that they are sinful, that they need the Lord. That's what God wants. And so one thing we see about David in the Bible, something about the character of David, he was always ready and anxious to give sacrifices because this was something he could do. Look at what it says in 1 Samuel 18 and verse 25. This is just how David was. David, he was an impressive individual. He was a kind of an overachiever, you could say. And in 1 Samuel 18, 25, Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desireth not any dowry, but an hundred foreskins of the Philistines to be avenged of the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law and the days were not expired. So Saul, he's thinking, you know what? If David wants my daughter, he can have her, but I'm going to give him something really hard to do, something that's probably going to get him killed. But David, he, he was like, bring it on. A hundred foreskins of the Philistines and we'll, let's see what he does. It says in verse 27, when David arose and went, he and his men and slew of the Philistines, 200 men. And David brought their foreskins and gave them in full tale to the king that he might be the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, to wife. David's like, hey, not only will I do that, I'm going to do double. That's just how David was. We see in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24, and the king said unto Arana, nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. This was after David committed that sin of numbering the people. And God sends an angel that's killing all these people. And David's like, we've got to give a sacrifice to God. We've done wrong. And so when it's time to do it, David wants to buy this threshing floor. And the guy just wants to give it to him. He's like, no, I'm going to buy it. David was very generous when it came to offering sacrifices. And you know what? He was At this time, he's a king. He's rich. This is something he can do. And so he's like, no, I'm going to buy it for a price. And he said, neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor with the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. So David, he was always ready to do big things and big sacrifices. David was a mighty man. David loved the Lord. He was always ready to go when it came to sacrifices. But God wanted David's heart to be right. God, and God had already revealed this truth through Samuel to King Saul. We see in 1 Samuel 15, 22, it says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. So, so King Saul thought, you know what, who cares I did this bad thing? I'm going to go offer some sacrifices, and it'll all be okay. But you know what? God has greater delight in a heart that's right. And God's not interested in these sacrifices. He says, for rebellion. Because in reality, Saul had a heart problem. He was rebelling against God. He willfully sinned against God. And Saul, or Samuel told Saul, for rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected thee from being king. So, we need to understand, God does not like rebellion. God wants a heart that is right with him, that is in agreement with him, not one that's fighting against him. And we see that God is closer and ready to answer the prayers of some more than others. We see in Psalm 34, 17, 
the righteous cry, and the Lord heareth, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of contrite spirit. So again, there's a something about that broken heart, that heart that recognizes the error of their ways, and truly changes their mind. Because again, folks, you know this. When it comes to your kids, sometimes you punish them and you, they're not sorry. That's not, you know, and we don't like that. We want them to truly be sorry for what they've done because we don't want them to ever do it again. We want them to learn from these things. Some of these things are serious. And so as a parent, you know, whenever you see that your child is truly sorry, a lot of times you lighten up on the punishment, don't you? But it's when it's clear they're not getting this. And sometimes, too, technically they're obeying you. But there's no doubt their heart is not with you. That is concerning as a parent. That is very concerning as a parent. And, and it should be. And so we see God wants our hearts right. And we're going to see more scriptures on this in a little bit. But before we go to this, I want to show you, I want us to look at a couple false doctrines that people promote and they use. These false doctrines are in reality born of faulty logic that shows that they clearly just do not understand what God is looking for when it comes to the hearts of people. And so the first thing, the first false doctrine is the teaching that one can lose their salvation. Now, people who reject once saved, always saved or eternal security they often say things like this, and you've all heard this before. And that is, if eternal security were true, then you know what? I would just live like the devil and then get saved right before I die. How many ever heard that kind of thing before? You know, you once saved, always saved people. You're just giving people license to sin. And here's my question. Is that what it is to you? Is that what you desire to do in your heart? Is it your desire to live like the devil? Because, I don't know, but I believe once saved, always saved, but that is not my desire. You know, we were singing the song before, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. I think it's worth it right now. You know, I don't regret not getting caught up in the sins of this world. There's been things I've been tempted with before, and I said, no, I don't regret, I, I can't think back to any time I said no to sin, and I look back and I was like, man, why did I? Why did I miss out on that opportunity? Why didn't I not take advantage of that? I, I don't do that. It, do, it doesn't make any sense. But yet, that's what people say all the time. You know, and so often when we hear these things, our immediate reaction is just to go to the scores of scriptures showing that salvation is eternal. And technically, you can do that. Okay? And we're not going to do that right now. Technically, we could go to all the scriptures showing salvation is eternal, showing you can never lose it. But let's just stop for a minute and think about what these people are saying. Because when a person says, I would live like the devil if I believed you couldn't lose your salvation, they're showing that in their heart, okay, in their heart, not just their flesh, they still want to live like the devil. Okay, because you all understand, our flesh still desires to sin, right? Let's not, let's not kid ourselves and act like we don't have any temptations. But what is it that stops us? It's the Holy Spirit that's inside of us. That spirit that's within us, it desires to be like Christ. You know, it, that, it, it groans in us. It's wanting to be, you know, it wants that new body. It doesn't want the sin. 
we have that desire that's there. And so I'm not saying truly repentant people don't still have temptations in the flesh. Obviously, they do have temptation in the flesh. But listen, is, is this what God is looking for? Is God looking for a people who are saved, like these people claim that they are, but still want to live like the devil? Again, is that what you're looking for as a parent? You know, when, you, when your child turns 16 and gets a driver's license, do you want to tell them, listen, if you start breaking certain rules, I'm not going to let you drive anymore. If you smoke pot, you're not going to be allowed to drive anymore. And then, so now your son doesn't smoke pot because he doesn't want you taking away the keys to the car. Is, is that what you want, or do you want a son that doesn't want to smoke pot? You know, I, listen, I am all for threatening your kids when it comes to things like that and grinding your kids. But eventually, they need to get to a point where they're in agreement with you, and they don't want to do those things. Listen, I believe that technically, okay, technically, if they're living under your roof, technically, you can spank them. But, I mean, folks... You know, I've got a 20-year-old. If I still need to spank him, I went wrong somewhere. Y'all understand that? Okay? After they get to a certain age, if you still need to spank them, you went wrong somewhere. Why? I mean, it, 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 you know, once they get a certain age, okay, I'm th- and, I'm, and I, don't make me say a number. Everybody wants me to say a number all the time so I can, as a robot, know, all right, we stopped spanking on this day. But folks... You know, let's just say thir- 13, okay? Let's just, shouldn't you be able to talk to them about what they did and explain to them why this is wrong and why they shouldn't do it? Yep, they're still not listening. That's not good. We got, we got a real problem. You have a child that's old enough and capable to understand right from wrong. He, you know, he's able to understand consequences and things, and you still got to use physical force to get them to do the right thing, I, I would be concerned about that a little bit. You know, it should be the goal as a parent that after your kid gets to a certain age, okay, all right, at least by the time they turn 18, when legally they can leave, that they're going to be in agreement with you. That needs to be a goal. And if I just have to keep using physical force because I can, I went wrong somewhere. That's not what I'm looking for. That's not going to make me feel good as a parent. That, that, and I'm telling you right now, God wants us in agreement with him. God want, doesn't want us to just do right out of fear. God wants to change our hearts. God wants us in agreement with him. That's what he's looking for. That's what God has always wanted. And a person sacrificing every day and denying you know, his flesh by his own efforts to please God, is that person even capable of making sacrifices and living holy enough to please a holy God? No. Listen, no matter what sacrifices you give, what, what do you have that can impress the creator of the universe? What work can you do that will outdo what Jesus did on the cross? There, aren't, there is nothing like that. But I tell you what God does, we see God tells us that he's pleased with a contrite heart. You know, that's what God's looking for. And that's where, he, that's where he's trying to get us. And so here's the thing. How are we going to get there, you know, if God can threaten to take away our salvation? Oh, all right, I'm going to keep going to church. 
Not because I love you, God, but because I love myself and I don't want to go to hell. Do you see how it's impossible to have a good relationship with God if He can take away our salvation? That's, that's not a good relationship. That's not going to work. That's not going to change our heart. You know, there's a lot of things I don't do because I'm scared of the law. You know what? I pay my taxes, but I've not had godly repentance when it comes to that. I just do it because I don't want to go to jail. I don't want to have the IRS coming after me. I'm not in agreement with them. I obey authorities all the time when I'm not in agreement at all. You know why? Because I don't want the sorrow that comes from this world. And you know what? I usually obey it with a bad attitude. You know, I went to, we, we tried going into Rocky Mountain National Park this week. And they didn't want to let me in because I didn't have a four-wheel drive vehicle. And I, we drove all that way, wanted to go out there for it. And, and the guy was like, well, it's a law. And I said, well, I know it's a law, but it's a stupid law. <laughs> I gave him all kinds of lip. Did you listen to him? Yeah, but with a bad attitude. You know why? Because I disagreed. You know what? It's supposed to be America. It's supposed to be a free country. You know what? Let me drive at my own risk. Leave, you know, leave me alone. I'll sign a waiver. You know, but you know what? I, I obeyed. I obeyed a few times at the airport. They told me my suitcase on the way back was too big to go in the overhead thing. And I said, what happened? Did your plane shrink because it fit on the way here? <laughs> so you shouldn't be that way. I, I was mad because then I had to go and check it. And then I had to wait for it. It took me an extra half hour. You know, and so you shouldn't be that way. Well, you know what? My heart is not towards those people at the airport. They've been treating me, they treat you like a cow at the airport. They didn't make me mask up, but they do. They treat me like garbage there. I don't love them. I don't. I, do, I, don't, like, I don't like them. I don't want to listen to them. I do what I have to do out of fear of getting thrown off a plane. And we've got a bad relationship because, because of that. And you know what? Is that what God wants from us? Does God want us just doing things out of fear of punishment? Or does God want to actually change our heart? Does He actually want to change our mind? That's what God is looking for. And that is what God does. And that's the only way it's capable of happening if there is eternal security. I can't... And so, uh, turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 5, He says, Wherefore, when He cometh into the world, He saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldst not... But a body hast thou prepared. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of a book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said sacrifice and burnt offerings and offering for sin, thou wouldst not. Neither hast pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body, of Jesus Christ once for all. What The only sacrifice that pleased God was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's it. All those sacrifices they offered in the Old Testament, that wasn't what made God feel good. And let me tell you something. Any sacrifice that we try to bring to God, well, I'm going to come and I'm going to repent of all my sins. I'm going to repent of my drunkenness. I'm going to... And listen, by all means, repent of all your sins. Please do it. But don't offer that as a sacrifice to God. Don't try to do that as a way to obtain salvation. God's not pleased by that. But you know what we see God is pleased? A broken and a contrite heart. 
You know what God wants to see? God wants to see us recognize the fact that we are sinful and that He is our only hope for salvation and He wants us to put our faith and trust in Him. And when God sees that in your heart, then He gives you salvation and He gives it to you for free. And He, and he lets you keep it. And you know what? It's that goodness of God that leads us to repentance. So, and so Psalms 51 and verse 16, He said, For thou desirest not sacrifice else I would give it. And folks, David would give it. Did you know there's people on this earth right now, they are so zealous that they will go and have themselves nailed to a cross? They'll do that kind of thing. They do that kind of stuff in the Philippines and other countries. You know, there's people that go around and they feel so bad for their sins, they'll flog themselves. That sounds like repentance, doesn't it? Yeah, it's repentance. But you know what? It's them bringing their own sacrifices. God's not pleased with that kind of thing. You know, there's people... Again... David would have offered anything God would have asked for. David would have laid down his own life if God would have asked him to do it. But you know what? It was David who, again, un- he, David figured out in the Old Testament that, you know what? Sacrifice and offerings, that's not what you're looking for. Do you know it was David that said, Blessed is the man to whom God imputeth righteousness without works. David actually got a hold of these things. Way back then, David understood the reality of these things. And so he said, David said, listen, if you'd ask for something, I would give it. I can do that. And there's a lot of people, they're, they're going to church just trying to find out, what do I need to bring? What do I need to give? Let me give something to God. That's not what God's looking for. God's looking for a broken and contrite heart. These people don't feel bad about their sins. You know, there's some kids, they, I mean, I was like this growing up. I, you know, you get to a point where you kind of know what the punishments are going to be for different things. And there were times I went and I calculated things and I thought, you know what? The spanking will be worth it. And I willfully, you know, did things to make my sisters mad knowing I was going to get spanked. And I got spanked and it was worth it. (laughs) And some of you in here, if that's what you did, would take away your sins. Some of you like your sins so much, you'd give the sacrifice. You'd give a thousand dollars. And then you know what you do? You'd go do it again. You know why? Because you can make that sacrifice. But that's not what God wants. God wants you to not want to do that sin. God wants you to actually have a heart that's towards Him. One that wants to please Him. And so you know what? God does not accept any of your sacrifices. And not only does He not accept any of your sacrifices, but once a person does get saved too, He never takes it away. And so now, me doing right or wrong, it all comes down to my relationship with God. Am I trying to please Him or am I trying to please myself? We actually now have an opportunity where we can have a real relationship. And so what actually succeeds in motivating people to do better, it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance, not the demands of God. Romans 2, 3 says, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Folks, it's God's goodness that leads us to repentance. That's what changes us. Not just the fact that he'll throw us in hell, but the fact he'll give us salvation for free. The fact that he will take us to heaven, that he will change us. All these things God does, there's, there's something special about that. And that's what draws us to him. And that's, that's what God wants. And so in my experience, I can truly say that 
the once saved, always saved doctrine, it actually produces some of the godliest people I've ever met. And let me tell you something. Now, I don't, I don't see any other group doing it better. Now, I will say I do see some religions that put on a better show than we do of holiness. And you know what those, one thing those people all have in common? They're mean and they're bitter and they're unhappy people. You know why? Because they're going to church every week because they have to. I mean, they're, they're like that kid that's being good at home because his parents are watching him on a camera. And they've threatened everything in the world to come down on them if they don't do it. That's why, that's why they're obedient. They're going to church. They're dressing the way they do because I don't want to go to hell. But you know what? There's also, we have people like us that believe we can't lose our salvation, and yet we're doing these things anyway. What's the difference? I can't threaten you with hell, ladies and gentlemen. God won't threaten you with hell. Why are you here? I mean, really, why, why are you here? You don't have to be here, but yet you are. Why? Because you love God. And isn't that what God wants? God, and isn't that your goal? You know, I mean, I think what every, the goal of every parent is when their child grows up and is no longer under their authority, that they continue doing the right thing. You want to be able to say like John to say that I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. What, you're doing right and I wasn't even there to make you? What, you did right without getting spanked first? You know, that's a good feeling as a parent, and that's what God wants from us. And, I, and let me just say this too. While I do believe once saved, always saved produces the best Christians and the most genuine Christians, don't think that you're the most godly person because you have that position. Because let me tell you, the devil sows tares among the wheat, and yes, we have people in our camp that make our side look bad. And then the work salvation people always like to focus on that. Well, that pastor preached once saved, always saved, and he was having an affair with all these people, blah, blah, blah. Therefore, must not be true. Because that's what I would do if I believed you couldn't lose your salvation. So really, that, that's, if you, you're not cheating with your secretary because you don't want to go to hell. So you actually want to do that. How does your wife feel about that? You know, how, how does that work? You know, how, how's that working out in your marriage? Sounds like we've got a heart problem here that you're still wanting to do that. Did you know you're not supposed to want to do that kind of thing? And I get it. Our flesh, it's going to have desires that we shouldn't have. But you know what? In our spirit, we're not going to be saying, man, I sure wish once saved, always saved was true so I could go commit adultery and still go to heaven. That's not what you're going to say. Not, that, is, that is not what this is supposed to do. So teaching, you can lose your salvation. You know what it does do? It produces a people offering up their own sacrifices out of fear of judgment. And folks, is that what God's been looking for? It was revealed in the Old Testament that God wasn't looking for that. So, you know what? That attitude, if I believe once saved, always saved, I just go live like the devil, that's faulty logic. And it proves these people don't even understand repentance. They don't even understand the mind and the heart of God. And I, listen, and when I say we understand the mind and heart of God, I'm saying that in areas where he has revealed it to us. There are some areas where God has shown us his heart. God has shown us how he feels, and this is one area. Another area too, and don't get mad at me about this, but another area that shows people do not understand repentance or a false doctrine based off of faulty logic, and hear me out on this, but the teaching of the imminent return of Christ. You say, well, how, how does that tie on? Well, let me show you, okay? Because here, but before we go to Matthew 24, verse 42, 
And I have heard this many times. I could name names. I could give quotes. I'm not going to do it because I believe that the people do this. Many of them are sincere. They are saved. But I just don't think they realize what they're saying. I don't believe that they believe what they're saying. Because if they do believe this, I'm kind of concerned. If they, have you ever seen somebody when they're losing an argument, how they just start saying crazy stuff? And when they're losing the prophecy argument, and they're always losing it, they start saying crazy things. And one of the things people say is, you know, you people who don't believe in the imminent return of Christ, you know, you know what that produces? Ungodly Christians. You're not expecting Jesus to come today, so look how you're living. Well, are they living that way? You know, if I didn't believe, you know, the fact that Jesus could come back today is why I'm doing right today. Oh, really? So you're not convinced that his way is best? You're not just doing these things because you want to please him right now? You know, because you don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit? You're just afraid he might come back today and catch you out fishing instead of preaching? You know, listen, I do not believe in imminency, but you know what? I still don't want to go fishing instead of church on Sunday. And I like going fishing. But you know what? I'm in agreement with God about the house of God and about the importance of it. And you know where I want to be on Sunday? I want to be in church. I'm in agreement. And just because I know the rapture is not going to come today, I didn't go fishing instead. I didn't even think about that. I don't even want to do that. If I, I could not enjoy fishing on Sunday when I'm supposed to be in church, I, I just I couldn't enjoy it. You know why? Because I'm in agreement with God when it comes to things in the house of God. I'm not here today because I was like, man, I, I would have went fishing, but I was just so afraid while I was out there the trumpet would have sounded and God would have caught me out there. So he can only catch you if he physically comes. He can't in his spirit. You know, this, is, this is dumb stuff people are saying. I, I could give a bunch of quotes. I'm not going to. But they will say that all the time. They'll act like we, it's the same reasoning the once saved always, or the reject, those who reject once saved always saved use. You're giving people license to sin. You're basically telling, you know, if I believe that, I would just go live like I want to. And then when I see the tribulation get going, then I would start being obedient to God. Oh, okay. So the way you're living right now is not how you want to live. We got a problem here. That, is that what God's been looking for? Well, look what it says in Matthew. And then they'll go to Matthew 24, okay? Which is, it's the rapture when they need it to be. And it's not the rapture when they don't need it to be, all right? They can't get their story straight on this. But I believe it's about the rapture. But they'll go to Matthew 24, verse 42, and they'll use this to prove imminency. Now watch this. I'm going to show you this is faulty logic that shows they are missing something David got a hold of back in the Old Testament. It says in Matthew 24, 42, Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready for such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give him meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him, uh, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay? Now, they forget about the fact that, of course, Jesus is mainly referring this parable to Israel, who needs to accept him as the Messiah, to be ready. Okay? Now, have we accepted Jesus as Messiah? Yes. Okay? We're saved. 
We've already got that main part covered right there. But I believe you can apply this too, you know, when it comes to our Christian life. But Baptists, what they're doing, they're using the exact same logic as the work salvation crowd. They'll say that if they didn't believe in imminency, that they would basically backslide on God. That, that's what they flat out say. If I didn't believe the Lord could come right now, I would be doing something else. So you would get out of the will of God. You would backslide. Because I personally take this idea of being ready as just, just always being obedient. All the time. And even though I don't believe in imminency, I do believe if we're not ready, He can come when we're not expecting it. Now, they, they teach no matter what, He's going to come when you're not expecting it. You know, even though uh, that kind of violates a lot of things it's saying. But they will say imminency keeps them in line. So again, here's my question. Are you living by faith or are you living by fear? Because you're saying imminency is what keeps you in line. Do your kids, do you have to tell your kids when you leave the house, I'm not telling you what time I'm going to get home? Because if you tell them, you know, they're going to be, they'll make sure they're good at that time. You know, or are you, you said, does it not matter for you? Because they're going to be good either way. You know, what, what are you looking for? Is the parent, because I want you to notice something here. This just shows, again, they're, they're thinking like themselves instead of thinking like God and how he's revealed in his word. Because no, go back to verse 48. Notice that servant who thinks he has time until his master comes back. Okay, the one who thinks I have time, my Lord delayeth is coming. And so I am not being obedient right now. First off, he's referred to as an evil servant. Okay, now. If that same evil servant would have done right because he had knowledge of when the return was going to be, would that have made him not evil? Again, he's drunken, he's smiting the servants, he's doing all these things wrong, okay? But because he knows when the master is going to return, when the master comes, he's not in the process of doing it. But he was doing it before. He wants to do it, but he's pretending to not do those things. He's pretending to be obedient. He's like the guy at work that when he knows his boss is there, makes a good show that he's working. Is that a good thing? Is that still an evil servant? Yes, that's an evil servant. That would be an evil employee if when you're not looking, he's not doing his work. But he is when you see him. That would be an, that would be an evil servant. Um, so then notice too... Lost my spot. So you saying that you wouldn't be doing what you were doing if you knew you had time, that is you admitting you are evil and you aren't convinced that serving the Lord in obedience is better. You're basically saying, yeah, I'm doing the right thing right now because I'm afraid the boss is about to show up. Instead of just doing it because I'm in agreement with him, I believe this life is better. And folks, I do. I believe it will not just be worth it when we see Jesus. I believe it is worth it now. I have no desire to get out of the ministry. I have no desire to get out of the will of God. I, I don't want... I, I, you know what? I'm doing what I'm doing because I want to do it. I, I want to be here. There, there is no place I would rather be right now. I'm actually in agreement with God in this. And you saying that you wouldn't be doing what you should if you knew you had time... It's you admitting you're evil and that you are convinced that serving the Lord in obedience is better. And I really hope these people don't mean what they're saying. I really hope they don't. Because if I'm obeying God, but I don't want to, 
Okay, again, let's say I want to quit pastoring. I'm just like, you know what? You all stink. All right? I don't like this. I would rather be out making the big bucks, doing I don't know what, but I, we all, every pastor tells them, I could be making six figures right now, but I chose the ministry instead. Okay, I, I, don't, I don't play that game. I'd probably still be poor. But let's just say that's how I feel. But you know what? I want to quit, but I force myself to do what I do, and I preach what I preach so I don't get in trouble. Even though I'm not really convinced this is best. Folks, I'm doing what I am doing because I am convinced this is best. I am convinced that I, could, I couldn't be, doing, be happier doing something else. I don't believe I'd be happier doing anything else. I don't believe I'd be happier if I was making more money doing something other than this. I don't even believe I'd be getting more opportunities. I, 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 don't, even, I don't even believe I'd have more. I don't. I, I think I'm getting the most I could possibly get out of this life right now doing the will of God. I'm, I'm, just, I'm convinced of that because let me tell you, there's a lot of people doing whatever they want to do and they don't have even close to what I have. So I'm convinced, and I get it, there's people out there that have more than I do, do more than I do, but at the same time, I don't feel like I'm giving anything up. I'm convinced I'm getting the best out of my life, being right, smack, you know, having the middle of the will of God. So the thing is, if I'm doing these things, even though I don't want to, I'm not convinced it's best, you know what you could probably call me? A hypocrite. Man, I believe we ought to have dress standards. I believe men ought to dress like men and women ought to dress like women. And I'm saying that because I have to. I'd hate it if the Lord came back and he saw me preaching in skinny jeans. That's what I want to wear. You know, my wife in some hussy britches, I'd hate, I, I, that's what I want her to wear. I'm afraid the Lord would come back and see me that way, so I'm going to keep on dressing like a man because I have to. No... That means, but I'm, I'm preaching it like it's the right thing to do. You know what that makes me? It makes me a hypocrite. I'm doing the right thing out of necessity, not because I believe it. And notice what it says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 50. It says, The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. Now, why did he name the hypocrites? You know why? Because that's who he's like. That's who he fits in with. The people that are doing these things just to put on a show. He said with the hypocrites, there should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so that servant who isn't faithfully serving, isn't faithfully serving because he doesn't really believe all of this. That person, his heart and mind, it's never really been changed. He's just doing it because that's what I'm supposed to do. If I go liberal, the, the IFB is going to kick me out of the club and they're going to call me names. You know, who cares? You know what? Preach the truth because it's the truth. Preach your believe because it's what you believe. You know what? I wish a lot of people in the IFB would stop saying they're King James only. If they don't believe it, then just admit it. You know what? Let, you know what? I think a lot of IFB churches need to just bring in the contemporary music, bring up the drum set, bring up the praise team with the girls in the tight ripped jeans. Just bring them up. That's what you believe. That's what you want to do. Just do it and stop being a hypocrite. But you know what? Just because you're doing it as a hypocrite, just because you're doing it because you're feeling forced, doesn't mean that some of us aren't convinced that this is the way to do things. Some of us are actually convinced. Some of us actually believe this. And that's why we do these things. And you know what? We have many people today who are saved and they're struggling to do right because of many different things. 
And often they're being condemned by people who are doing right, but don't even really believe in what they're doing. You know what those people are called? Hypocrites. That's what they're called. They're called hypocrites. And you know what? Turn over to Luke chapter 18. Because let me tell you this. The publican disgusted with his sin is going to go to heaven before the Pharisee. And that's just a fact. The Pharisee who repented of his sins the best he could. The publican is going to go before. Because let's look at this, these two prayers between the Pharisee and the publican and let's see what they brought. The Pharisee stood and prayed in verse 11 with, thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. So Lord, I've not done this sin. I've not done that sin. And here's some good things I'm doing. I'm not like that publican right over there. So he's, he's bringing his own sacrifices here. You know, why did he bring up the things that he brought? Brought up. You know, I'm not committing adultery. I thought about it the other day, but I decided not to because I want to go to heaven. But you know what? That publican, we don't know what all he does. So the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What did that guy bring? A broken and contrite heart. A guy who got on the same page with God about his sin and he didn't bring his own sacrifices. He came asking for mercy. And you know what the Bible says? I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself should be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And let me tell you, I'm afraid that many people today that are promoting godly living, that are promoting good works, are nothing more than hypocrites. And they prove it. They prove it when they say, if I believe you could lose your salvation, I would do this and this and this. You don't have godly sorrow for your sin. When a person says, if I didn't believe that the Lord could come back tonight, I would be out doing this, this, this. You don't have godly sorrow for your sins. You are not on the same page with God. There are some of us that know we can never lose our salvation and are not expecting the imminent return of Christ. And yet we're doing these things. Why? Out of love for God. Because, and not even just out of love for God. Sometimes, and there are some things I do out of love for God, but there's some things I'm just convinced. I am just convinced that this is better. I am convinced that God's ways are the best ways. I am convinced that this sin will bring sorrow and misery just like God said. And you know what? Not only am I convinced of what God said about it, I, I, there's some things I even feel the same way as God does about it. I hate that. I despise that sin. I don't want to have anything to do with that sin. That's what God wants to do in our hearts. That's what God wants to do in our lives. That's what God has always been looking for. And every time somebody gets up and says, you know, if I believe this, I would do this and this. They're revealing there's something wrong with their heart. And I will say on the eminent people, when they're saying that, I don't think they've thought through what they're saying. I think they're back into a corner. They're losing an argument and they're just throwing whatever they can at you. I'm going to be generous and I'm going to give them that. Because let me tell you, if they do mean that, if you do mean that, if you really would change what you're doing and backslide and sin just because you knew you were safe and Jesus Jesus wasn't coming back tonight, there's something wrong with your heart. What happened? 
you know, what's missing there? Why do you, why do you want to do that so bad? I thought you were serving the Lord because you loved him. That's what I thought. We've got, listen, this is, that's a scary thing when people say that. And people need to be called out on it. Both of these doctrines, too, once they've always saved, and then what we believe about the rapture, these things are, they are easy to prove. But the biggest opposition to those doctrines that I'm seeing is faulty logic that only reveals they don't have a changed heart. So you would. When you're driving down the road, you don't listen to rock music, not because, you know, your heart's mind's been changed up because you're afraid the rapture's going to come. Do you not believe the Holy Spirit's already here? What, what about Christ within you? So you would. You'd watch the dirty movie tonight if you knew you were safe and Jesus wasn't going to show up. Did you forget He's with you all the time and He's never going to leave you nor forsake you? You're revealing your heart. You're either revealing your heart or revealing the fact that you have lost the argument and you are in a panic. People should not say these things that's that's a real problem. So I obey God because I love Him, because I want to. I'm convinced that serving God is the best way to live life. And you know what? I would serve Him the same today if I knew He was coming tomorrow, or if I didn't, if I knew it was going to be another hundred years. You know why? Because I'm convinced that God's ways are the best ways. If somehow we figured out that you know what we've entered a new dispensation and now we can know the day or the hour, and it's going to be in the year 2200. What are we going to do, Pastor Tommy? Have church next week? Have soul winning this week? We're going to keep doing the things we've always been doing. We're not going to change our standards. We're not going to change our music. We're not going to, we're not going to do anything like that. We're going to keep doing what we're doing. Why? Because I believe this is what God wants us to do. Well, what, you know, what if he, what if he, you could lose yourself? No, these things don't matter. We, I'm in agreement with God on these things. You know why? Because he's changed my heart on these things. I've had the godly sorrow and that's what God has always been looking for. And don't fall for these bad, just faulty logic arguments. They don't make any sense and it just reveals the hearts of these people that their minds and hearts have not been changed and they're hypocrites. So, with that, let's pray, dear Lord. I pray this message was a help to everyone. I pray you'll help us to uh, have the right kind of hearts with things that we will be convinced. Uh, Lord, and I, I know you want to convince us of these things, but Lord, I pray you help us not have a, an evil heart of hypocrisy and help us not to just put on a show of these things, but help us to be honest with the Scriptures and honest with your Word and help us to get close to you. And uh, Lord, because I do, I believe just learning about your goodness and mercies is the best motivator that there is. And I pray you'll help us to have an, an attitude in this church of love and gratitude instead of... Uh, attitude of fear when it comes to doing right. And I pray to help us to uh, just be victorious Christians. In your name we pray. Amen.